Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 22 of Revelation chapter 21. We're going to be reading verses 9 through 11. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And I'll stop reading there. Now, God is once again showing us the completion of uh, his whole salvation program. Actually, he's showing us the purpose for this whole world that he has saved a people for himself that he calls the Lamb's wife the bride. It is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the bridegroom. He is the husband of all the elect. God has joined together the Lord Jesus Christ and everyone that he has saved out of the whole history of the world in spiritual union to form a spiritual marriage. And God does speak in the Bible of spiritual marriages. He speaks of being married to Israel of old, and in that marriage he divorced them because there was an allowance in the law of God in the book of Deuteronomy that that um, a wife could be put away. Uh, and and Christ explains uh, Moses allowed that actually God moving Moses due to the hardness of your hearts but from the beginning God made them male and female and what God has joined together let not man put asunder so once Christ made that statement in the New Testament the law was rescinded God had already accomplished the purpose that he wanted By having that law in the books, God always operates by law. He does nothing except he follows his own law. He's under his own law. And and so he lawfully divorced national Israel, and they no longer were his holy people. And the veil of the temple being rent in twain was a sign of that divorce, an indicator of that divorce. But then... Christ said what God has joined together from the beginning, man was not to put us under, indicating the binding relationship of the marriage, which had always been in place, was now reinforced. Never again was there to be divorce for any reason. And this is the confidence and the assurance that everyone that the Lord has saved may have that each one of us can know in this spiritual marriage relationship between the sinner 
that that was predestinated to salvation and God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, there can never be a breaking of that union. Never will there be divorce. Never will there be putting away. And, and that's why God says you have eternal life because we have an eternal spiritual union with God. He, he is our God. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And all of that relates to why God says that uh, they will be my people and I will be their God. It, it is, uh, again, a very intimate, uh, personal relationship that God has with everyone that he has saved. Well, here in verse 9, it says of Revelation 21, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, or messengers, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. And here, God is identifying the the seven angels as the ones that we read about back in Revelation 15 and Revelation 16. And we've also seen that one of the seven angels has previously been used by God to bring revelation to the Apostle John. Remember back in Revelation 17, verse 1. It says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, and and then showed John um, some some things from God. And uh, we we also saw it uh, a little while ago that that God is speaking of the seven angels, and we spent a good deal of time on this, but we're going to uh, just review it again because. The Lord is making mention of it again. And, you know, God gives us the direction. When he brings something up, we want to look at it. We uh, Even if we've looked at it ten times, let's look at it again. And in Revelation 15, it says in verse 1, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up, the wrath of God. And that's exactly what our verse says here in Revelation 21.9. There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. So there's no doubt that this is speaking of those same seven angels. One out of those seven angels that are in view here in Revelation 15. And goes on to say, In verse 5 of chapter 15, And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open, and the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles, and one of the four beasts or living creatures gave unto the seven angels and again the word angels can be understood as messengers one of the seven messengers seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled and again 
We, we have spent some time on this. The seven messengers are true believers. True believers. Because in verse 6 it says they're clothed in pure and white linen. And, and they also have their breasts girded with golden girdles, which is priestly attire. And it is the children of God that are spiritual priests, prophets, and kings. And they perform priestly functions. And uh, this happens to be something God considers a priestly function to pour out the seven last vials of his wrath in the day of judgment upon the unsaved people of the earth because God is going to offer up the unsaved as a sacrifice during the marriage supper of the Lamb. They are the sacrifice that that we read of in Revelation 19 and other places, and, and we've talked about that too. And, and so the believers are involved performing their priestly functions, and notice they come out of the temple, and the temple's filled with smoke, and that also is language that relates to the completion of Solomon's temple in the Old Testament, the house of God. Once it was finished, then a very similar language, if you read Second Chronicles 5 and 6, or, or in 1 King, uh, those historical accounts, we, we find the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God, and in those historical accounts, the priests were clothed in white linen, and they came out of the temple and could not minister in the temple uh, for a period of time because the glory of God had entered in. And all that is a historical parable painting the picture that once God builds up the spiritual house of the body of believers, once he saves everyone to be saved, he then enters into the fullness of each one of his elect and no man then can enter in because there's no more salvation. God has accomplished what he intended to do. He saved the last one of the elect, everyone whose name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life has been found. Salvation has been uh, brought to them uh, and applied through the Word of God. They've become saved and now the house is complete. God indwells every one of his elect. Therefore, he indwells the house. And the the judgment is, no one is able to enter into the temple. You you can't become saved if there is, uh, your name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life. If there are no more predestinated people then how can anyone become saved? That's what doesn't make any sense. Uh, when people try to say, well, God would never do that. God wouldn't leave a world of people or have people born or they come up with all kinds of reasons to justify and to insist God must still save. Except that God has only obligated himself to save those that he chose to save from the foundation of the world. And and so God could, uh, over periods of time throughout history, he, he could have whole nations, whole 
uh, islands of people that the gospel never reached, and and there was no problem with that. He he didn't have to bring those people the gospel because there was no elect there. Or he can have a period of 2,300 evening mornings at the beginning of the Great Tribulation wherein virtually no one's being saved. And and, and people are living and, and dying by the millions over the course of that six years and about four months. That's what 2,300 days is. And from 1988 to September 1994, all kinds of people died and virtually no one was being saved. The, the gospel was not going forth in a mighty way at all. And, and God isn't unjust. It's just virtually everyone that died during those 2300 days that, uh, didn't have the gospel available as it was previously or would be after in the latter rain, they weren't elect. And all the 23 years of the Great Tribulation within the churches and congregations, people were born. Children were born. Little boys and little girls were born in 1989, 1992, 1997, They lived to be a year or five years or ten years, and they were taken to church throughout the entire lifespan, and then uh, they died. And they they never were in a position outside of the church during the Great Tribulation uh, uh, from 1994 on to 2011, where the latter rain was falling. They could not have become saved, which just goes to show God only obligates himself to save his elect. And he completed that program, his salvation program, which was a marvelous salvation program, was finished on May 21, 2011. And yes, people be, uh, continue to be born and, and, and uh, people uh, are out there in the world that are dying unsaved. But to understand it, all we have to understand is that God obligated himself only to a certain number of people, certain individuals. The gospel was developed, designed, sent forth, and was to accomplish God's purpose of salvation only, exclusively, for those elect people that were predestinated before the foundation of the world, whose sins were laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and he died for those individuals only. And God saved those individuals only. So he has completed the salvation. It's a triumph. It's a victory. It is great salvation. It is salvation to the utmost. You cannot have any more salvation than having everyone who God selected and wrote down their name in that figure of the Lamb's book to have been found by the gospel, have the gospel applied to their souls, and God create a new spirit within. 
that that is the fullness of God's salvation program, except for the completion of it uh, in, in the other sense of uh, equipping every one of them with a new resurrected body, and that will come at the end of the world. But as far as the initial phase, the first resurrection of the soul, you can only have salvation of those people that God counted and named and and intended to save. And so there is no failure. There is no problem at all looking at it from that perspective, from the eternal perspective of Almighty God. He had those he desired and, and willed to save according to his good pleasure, and he accomplished that. And, and now it's a matter of judgment. It's a matter of pouring out his wrath upon the rest of mankind. And that's where we find ourselves. And the seven angels are the true believers. We can know because it says they were clothed in pure and white linen. Now if we go to Revelation 19, it says in verse 8, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen, is the righteousness of saints. Fine linen, clean and white, is the righteousness of saints. We don't read anywhere in the Bible that fine linen is the righteousness of uh, angelic beings. That That isn't found. The, the angels, the angelic beings, those creatures that remain in heaven and did not fall with Satan have no need of the fine linen, uh, 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 which is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the righteousness of one, Christ, many are made righteous. The saints, not angels. Remember that Jesus did not die for angels, uh, for Satan or any of the fallen angels, and there was no need for him to die for the angels that did not fall. They had no sin. And therefore they did, do not need the righteousness of Christ. And that means absolutely. You, you can put an exclamation uh, mark on this. In Revelation 15, the seven angels that are clothed in pure and uh, fine white linen are the elect. They, they are the true believers. And they are the ones coming out of the temple because God is using them to judge the world. As 1 Corinthians 6 tells us, Know ye not that the saints will judge the world? And then in Revelation chapter 16, we find the seven angels are uh, being utilized to pour out the seven last vials of the wrath of God, just as God today and throughout this prolonged period of judgment since May 21, 2011, has been utilizing his people to share the word of God. And and the Bible has become a source of wrath. It is filled up to the utmost with the wrath of God. And it's the Bible that's declaring that the lights of the gospel are out, that the door of heaven is shut, that the water uh, that brought salvation is dried up across the face of the earth. It's the Bible and the proclamation of the Bible, the 
the declarations of the Bible that are pouring out the wrath of God and the believers are commanded to publish Babylon's fall, to prophesy again of these things. And as we do, we are performing the role of those seven messengers that God has prophesied would be performed by those seven messengers clothed with that fine and white linen, the righteousness of saints that are also the bride of Christ. Now in Revelation 21, it goes on to say here in verse 9, I'll read from the top again, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And if we go back to Revelation 19, we just read verse 8, that spoke of the righteousness of the saints. Well, go back to verse 7, and we'll read through verse 9. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. So here in Revelation 19, we have the bride in view. And then we read, that uh, she, the bride, is clothed with the fine white linen, the righteousness of saints. The bride is the saints. And in Revelation 21, we read of seven angels in the first part of verse 9. And when we, as we did, went back to Revelation 15, we learn they're clothed with fine white linen. They are the saints. And And then God, in the very same verse, says, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. So, again, that's actually further additional proof that the seven angels are the body of believers, the bride of Christ, the whole company of the elect, the saints of God. And and, uh, they are the ones God is using to judge the world with, as the Bible is uh, the source and, and the means of the judgment. It is the vial full of the wrath of God. And as believers share the teachings of the Bible, which is all we're doing, we're just telling people what we've learned from the Bible and what the Bible says, it is pouring out the last vials full of the wrath of God. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.